This is Joel Johnson, Senior Minister at Parkview Christian Church. I want to thank you for listening to our sermons online. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me by email at joeljohnson at parkviewfinley.org. Last week we began our study in the book of Nehemiah, covered chapter 1, and learned about the, the vision that, that Nehemiah had for the, the future of recognizing the need to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Today we turn the page into chapter 2, or scroll down, however it is you're reading, and uh, we, we get to see how Nehemiah moved from vision to purpose as he began to make decisions, aligning his life with that vision that God laid on his heart. We began working diligently to accomplish that purpose. We're going to begin reading in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1. If you have a Bible and you want to read along with me, you can turn and read along. The words will be here on the screen. If you have a phone or tablet and you want to open up the YouVersion app, you can search under Events for Parkview Finley and find Scripture and Sermon Notes there in the YouVersion app. Let's begin reading together. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. Now we open chapter 2 with uh, information from chapter 1 that we want to keep in mind as we progress through our story. This is the month of Nisan, which is nearly four months since the beginning of chapter 1. We're now in the spring And what's interesting is that as, as we read through chapter 1, we, we heard about the, the messengers who came to Persia from Jerusalem, who talked to Nehemiah about the status of the city and its people, the disgrace they were living in, the, the condition of the, the wall in the city. And, and Nehemiah was overwhelmed. He was full of emotion. He mourned and fasted and prayed. And it would seem that that took place over a matter of days, in fact, that's, uh, that's what Scripture says. He, he mourned and fasted and prayed for, for a number of days. And, and in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, so maybe a week. And he's, he's moving through that process. And the end of the chapter is the, the words of the prayer that Nehemiah prayed to the Lord, inviting God's assistance, seeking God's presence. As Nehemiah was preparing to go into the presence of the king that day, and then we have this last little snippet, this last sentence, I was cupbearer to the king. And that closes chapter 1. And that sentence really doesn't seem to have much impact on the opening chapter, and yet it is significant to what we read in chapter 2. After those months have passed, Nehemiah was preparing to, to, to interact with the king based on the information that he had. He was the cupbearer to the king, which meant that as the cupbearer, he was a servant in the court of King Artaxerxes, and when wine was brought to the king, refreshment came, Nehemiah's job as the cupbearer was to bear the cup and also to make sure that there was nothing wrong with the drink that the king was about to consume. Now, treachery present in this day and age, and the, the primary purpose of the cupbearer was to taste the wine before handing it to the king to make sure there was no poison in the cup. That if the cupbearer survived, the king was safe. And so Nehemiah literally was placing his life in the in the hands of the king day in and day out. If Nehemiah were to suddenly pass away, the king would know not to drink the wine that was presented to him. And, and 
the responsibilities of the cupbearer were not only just to taste the wine, but to ensure that nothing had been tampered with in the process. Any cup that Nehemiah handed the king, the king could trust that it was safe to drink. And so this, this role for Nehemiah as a servant in the court of the king was a trusted position. He was standing in the presence of the king continually, waiting for the opportunity to hand a cup. And the, the king knew him well. Not only did he know him well, but it seems that there was a relationship there between the king and Nehemiah that went beyond royalty and servant. Now we think about monarchs that we read about in literature, that we see in movies, and in my mind uh, creates this image of a very self-absorbed, distant, aloof kind of ruler that doesn't care much for those who are serving him. But, but the image of Artaxerxes that we have is a king who knows Nehemiah well, trusts Nehemiah, and is interested in what's happening in his life. Why is your face so sad? Now, I wouldn't use those words to ask what was going on with someone that I could tell was upset. Why is your face sad when you're not ill? This looks to me like there's sadness of heart. And that's a phrase that was, was used at that time. Uh, could also mean um, something, something is wrong, uh, that there, there's something bad about your heart. So we make sure we're careful not to, not to assume that the king thinks that there's treachery, that Nehemiah is involved in turning against him. He said, What's, this looks like sadness of heart. Now, what sadness of heart is, a broken heart, distress, uh, times of, of mourning. There, there is... There is a reflection of what's going on on the inside of Nehemiah that's present on his face. And in the four months that he's had to mourn and fast and pray, he has been continually serving the king, waiting for this moment to let his emotions be known. He's been careful about them throughout that time, not letting too much be known to the king, waiting for for the, the appropriate, for the right moment that God placed before him to Approach the king with the difficulty that he faced. Verse 2, we read more about how that went. Here's what Nehemiah said. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed with fire? The king said to me, What is it that you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried, so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take? When will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. If you think back with me to the story of Esther, Bit of a bit of a, a, a switch of subject. Apologize, but think about the the moment when Esther went before the king, the predecessor of Artaxerxes. She went before King Xerxes, and the the fear that she felt stepping into the throne room was that there was a standing rule in Persia that if anyone came before the king who wasn't summoned, who the king hadn't requested to see, they would be put to death unless the king extended his scepter to them, inviting them to speak. And Esther chose to step forward in front of the king without having been invited, risking her life to deliver a message to the king. Nehemiah, preparing to plead his case before King Artaxerxes, is getting ready to talk to the king about what's going on inside, and he's full of fear. He's afraid of what the king will do, and rightfully so. 
with this, this kind of standing rule in place for the, the way that people were treated in the court of the king. However, Nehemiah, as the cupbearer, is continually present before the king. He has a place beside the throne, behind the throne, nearby, where, where the king is used to Nehemiah's presence. He's not stepping uninvited, and yet he still has a request to make of the king, a request that's personal, a request that would benefit him and his people and not necessarily the king and the kingdom. And so there's some risk involved as Nehemiah stepped forward. There's some fear involved in the process. As he chose to act on the vision that he had, as he chose to live according to this purpose. And when we accept our purpose, it requires the courage to overcome our fears. When we feel God laying on our hearts a purpose to live for, and we choose to make decisions to live according to that purpose, we have to be willing to step beyond our fears, to overcome those fears, the courage that comes from the Lord. In last week's sermon, we read Nehemiah's prayer. And in it, he, he asked specifically that God would intervene, that, that God would be with him as he went before the king. Now, standing before the king, even before he had a chance to speak, the king started the conversation. Why? Why is your face so sad? There's a, there's a golden opportunity for Nehemiah to begin speaking to the king. But it's still a moment of decision that involves a lot of fear. This critical moment where Nehemiah would step forward into what God was calling him to do. And when we're in, we're in difficult moments like this, when we recognize that we are standing at this crossroads, this, this moment of decision in which we can step forward into where God is calling us or, or to continue in the path that we were already on, this moment is a difficult moment for us because it involves so many different emotions. One of them is fear. What will happen if I step forward? How will people around me respond? Will I, will I lose friendships over this? How, how will I, how, what about my career? What about, what about the, 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 the place where I work? Will things change if I, if I pursue this purpose that God has laid before me? Should I just continue on my way? There, there's fear. There's uncertainty. There are excuses, to be pretty honest, about, about this moment of decision. Yes, I see the importance. I see the value of what God's calling me to, but I also have all these things that I have to get done. I have all these people depending on me. I don't know if I can take the time and the energy to, to pursue this purpose when there are so many other things standing in the way. I don't, want to be, I don't want to be locked into a commitment if I choose to serve God. I don't want to give up so much time that I, that I won't have, have the time I want to give to my family. I won't have the time to pursue my own desires. I won't have time to, to, to take part in all the activities that I've already committed to. So many fears, so many excuses, and, and we have to decide in that moment if our trust in God outweighs the fear of the circumstances, if our trust in God outweighs the, the excuses that, that come up when we have these big decisions to make. And Nehemiah's first statement, as the king asked him what was wrong, registered with the king. Now, Nehemiah knew what, what he was doing. He, he had, had this picture of Jerusalem in mind, and he knew he had to do something about it. But when he answered the king, he answered in a way that the king would understand. He said, well, Jerusalem's in ruins, and the graves of my ancestors are there. 
And they're also lying in ruins. Now, the, the culture of the nations at this time, all of them cared for the graves of their ancestors. It was a matter of honor and respect. And for Nehemiah to, to understand that perspective and say to the king, this, this is something important that I need to go take care of, the king would be not only sympathetic to that cause, but see the significance of it. Not only that, but, but he saw that what was motivating Nehemiah was not just emotion. It, it was an intention to do something about it. It was a purpose driving him. A purpose that Nehemiah was willing to present to the king, but with a great deal of prayer involved. And accomplishing our purpose is possible when we submit to the Lord in prayer. Notice how much Nehemiah had been praying about this. Four months have passed from winter to spring. And he had been mourning and fasting. Nehemiah had been mourning and fasting and praying. A significant amount of time to, to su submit something to God, seeking his guidance, seeking his direction. You think about what that would look like in our world today. We live in such fast-paced society, making decisions all the time, information at our fingertips. If we have a big decision to make, we might spend four hours praying about it and feel really good about the time we gave to the Lord focusing on this decision. What, what if we extended that and spent, spent days in prayer? fasting over, over the, the decision that we had to make? What if we spent weeks putting that decision off because of its significance, waiting, searching, hoping for God's direction to help us understand how to best make that decision? What if we spent months in prayer? How confident we could be in those decisions? How sure we would be of, of where God was leading and guiding and directing us if we had spent that kind of time submitting to his will and his way, trusting his, his guidance and direction instead of logic and evaluation, our own determination and perspective. Nehemiah had been praying significantly for this moment. And even when he's present in that moment, he kept praying about it. He prayed to the Lord and then answered the king. Now, we don't hear the words of this prayer in the middle of this conversation. But certainly, when talking to a king, he wouldn't have said, "Time, just give me a few minutes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back here and pray for a bit before I answer you. This is one of those things that, the way I see it, the, those quick prayers that, that when you're walking into a very difficult situation, you say, God, help me. Lord, I, I need you right now as, as you continue doing what you're doing. This is an example of what it is to, to pray without ceasing, to pray continually, calling on God, asking for his presence, asking for his help in difficult situations. And we do those things we, we ask for God's help after spending time. Now, notice how, how consistently Nehemiah bathed this situation in prayer. He got to that moment and was able to say, whatever he said to God, be with me in this moment. And it's not a reminder to God. When you and I are in difficult situations, we say, God, I need you. It's not a reminder to God to say, don't forget about me. I know you're busy up there, but this, this is important to me. Would you please intervene? No, this is a reminder to us. That God is present. God is working in our lives. And that while we might be afraid of the, the circumstances, while we might be uncertain about the people that we're facing, while we might be unsure about the, the, the place where we are, what we can count on is the faithfulness of God. And we remind ourselves in those moments of his presence. God be with me. We remind ourselves of his power. I need you right now. And it gives us confidence as we step into those, those moments of difficulty, those moments of decision. But he's there and he's still guiding and leading us. 
Nehemiah demonstrated that what he was concerned about, he was willing to own as his responsibility. And that's an important piece of stepping into our purpose, of fulfilling the purpose that the Lord has for us, is, is recognizing that the, the concerns that he, he lays on our hearts are things that we need to take ownership of and to take responsibility for. When God lays something on our hearts, and it continually is, is, is heavy on our minds, it's the Holy Spirit at work, pushing, nudging, guiding us to the places where we need to take an active role in what God is doing in the world around us. Sometimes, We confuse that. We feel strongly about something, and we feel strongly that, that somebody else is missing an opportunity, and, and we make sure to let them know how they can be faithful to what God has laid on their hearts. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in those moments where you think, man, there's a gap here. There's, there's, there's a, a thing that we're really missing. And you think, you, you go and talk about it. It's, it's been heavy on your, on your mind and on your heart. And you have coffee with somebody and say, this is something I really feel is important. I feel like it's something our church should be doing. And I feel like maybe you should do it. Or, or to have a conversation with the leader here at church and say, hey, this is something I feel like the church should be doing. Here you go. <laughs> Why aren't you doing it? Start, let's get to it. And we, we sometimes miss the, 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 the pushing of the Holy Spirit when we feel very strongly about something to, to be personally responsible for it. Think, think in, it just in terms of your relationships with people. When you look out your window and you see your neighbor getting out of the car and going into the house and, and you just feel this weight for them and you think, you know, we haven't talked in a while. It looks like, looks like things have been hard. Maybe I should Maybe I should go over and just see how they're doing. Maybe I should take, take some food over for them. Maybe I should go see if there's something I can do and take care of the yard or you know, just, just help out in some way. That, that, that concern that's, that's heavy on your heart and mind is the, the, the guidance of the Holy Spirit for you to personally get involved in, in the lives of people around you. You had a conversation with somebody at work, and, and in the course of that conversation, you can tell that they're just they're, they're uncomfortable. They're ill at ease. There's just something wrong. And you have the, the moment of decision where you think, well, you know, they don't seem okay, but I'm so busy to say, well, hey, it's good to see you and keep moving on. But, but the, that, their face, their, their response just keeps weighing on you. And you think, maybe if I just spent some time talking with them, maybe if I just sat down with a cup of coffee and was just willing to listen, I could, I could really help them. Maybe, maybe what they need right now is just for somebody to let them know that they care enough to hear what's going on. Those are moments that the Holy Spirit is pushing us to take an active part in the world around us, to be used by God for his purpose, to care for the people around us, to help them see how God is working in their lives through us. They're, they're moments that require courage from us to step through our fears. They're moments that require us to trust God, to take care of the details. They're moments that we need to, to be praying about continually and also that we need to take responsibility for that we need to be personally involved in. This is the example we have from, from Nehemiah, that his concern 
is something that he was willing to take responsibility for, that God was pointing him to action. And, and we recognize how God works in our lives in the same way, that fulfilling our purpose involves personal responsibility. When Nehemiah stepped forward, when he engaged the king, he saw how God was working, that the king responded in favor of sending Nehemiah. In fact, he said, just how long is this going to take? Tell me when you're going to be coming back. Now, it's important to notice that the king wasn't saying, you're free to go. I release you from service. He's a, he's a leave of absence. Go take care of this and then get back here. <laughs> Nehemiah is a trusted, trusted person in the, in the king's court. And we, we turn into the next verse, into verse 7, and we get to some of the more practical matters that Nehemiah wanted to ask of the king. I said, I also said to him, if it pleases the king, now this is, this is common language for people addressing a king, if it pleases the king, if, if you would be glad to do this. So notice how Nehemiah is peppering his conversations with this. If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governors of trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. Now, Nehemiah was aware of the difficulty he would face to some degree. He was difficulty there would be dangers on the road. And so he was wise to seek letters from the king, letters of authority, letters that would provide him not only with the king's stamp of authority, but with, with the king's commands for other people to act on his behalf. He would need the king's permission to have access to the materials, resources he would need. He would need the king's permission to convince the, the local officials that what he was doing was with the consent of the king. Now notice in the four months that Nehemiah waited, mourning, fasting, and praying, he was also planning, thinking in terms of what God was putting on his heart about how that vision would begin to come into reality as he began living for that purpose. He planned and he prayed, creating a clear picture of what would need to be done as he stepped forward to accomplish that task. And he asked the king for some very specific requests. Give me letters, make sure I get some timber. We're going we're gonna to have to have all these things that need done. One thing he didn't ask for was armed guard. And the king said, I'll send with you military officers, cavalry. Now, this was in favor of the king. This was supporting his own interests. One, he wanted to see his cupbearer come back to him. Two, if the king gave Nehemiah authority and sent him with his approval and something happened to Nehemiah and the job he sent him to do wasn't done, that would be an affront to the king's honor. And he would have to go in force to make sure that what he sent Nehemiah to do would then later get done. And so it was in the king's best interest to make sure it all happened smoothly the first time. But recognize that Nehemiah didn't ask for any of these things to happen. He didn't see the need for all those things in his own very detailed planning. But God was working in the mind of the king. God was working to provide for Nehemiah everything that he would need, 
even the things that Nehemiah hadn't thought of. I like the way Nehemiah faithfully recognized God's hand at work. The king answered my request because the hand of God was on me. Now that kind of response comes from humble submission to the Lord, to recognize how God is working all the time, to see God's hand in our lives, working through our lives. It requires from us humble submission. And it helps us be aware of how God is supplying for our needs, how God is, is taking care of the details and supplying for the needs that we have according to his purpose. And that's how God provides for our needs, according to his purpose. Because our planning is more like Nehemiah's planning than we want to admit. While we are determined about what we need to do and how we need to do it, and sometimes we're so determined that we just bulldoze through and we get very harsh and condescending, wanting to control the details, wanting to, to determine, to guarantee success so that we can say, God, I felt like this was a purpose you were giving to my life. Here's the victory I claimed for you. Instead, what we need to be thinking about is how we can be faithful to God and submit to God and allow God to work in us and through us that what God wants from us isn't a victory. What God wants from us is faithful obedience and submission to his will. And when we can surrender to him, we see how he provides for our needs according to his purpose, not according to our plans. And that God's purpose surpasses our plans. That God's purpose takes into account all the things that we've forgotten, all the limitations that we've built into our plan because of our personality. God provides for us to surpass those things so that as we're working for him, we're working for his kingdom and his glory and not for ours. That what we will accomplish will benefit the kingdom and the church. So much more so than we ever could have planned or provided for on our own. And when we surrender to God in this way, we can look back as Nehemiah did. We can look back over the course of events that have unfolded and say, God, thank you for that. Thank you for, for the way that you have been guiding me. Thank you for the way that you have been providing. Thank you for the work that you did through me that I was present to do, but it was totally, totally you doing through me. That the, the, the things that were accomplished for your kingdom and your glory surpassed what I could ever have hoped or dreamed. That's the place where we come to when we surrender to God in this way. Now, this, this passage that we just read closes out with Sanballat and Tobiah, who are local rulers close to Jerusalem, and they're very upset about what's, what's taking place in Jerusalem. Now, historically, if we turn back uh, to Ezra, uh, what, what took place there in the nations surrounding Jerusalem when Ezra came back to rebuild the temple they sent letters back to King Artaxerxes saying, Jerusalem is a place of rebellion. They have always, always caused trouble for the kingdom of Persia. You should stop them from working here in Jerusalem to rebuild this place of power. We don't want that to happen. And Artaxerxes sent a letter to stop Ezra and the Israelites from rebuilding the temple. Now, they, Nehemiah heard about the, the things that were happening and personally went to the king to ask if he could go. Now, notice how important it is to ask a king for permission. He, he invited the king to let him go and posed everything in this very careful question, if it pleases the king, so that the letters that he took with him had the name and seal of Artaxerxes. So all the local rulers who had been a part of keeping Jerusalem from being developed would see, oh, these people really do have the authority of the king. 
they were going to do, those local rulers were going to do everything they could do to keep Jerusalem from being rebuilt. We're going to talk more next week about the opposition that Nehemiah faced. Today, what we need to know is that the opposition is there and present and beginning to build as we move into to verse 11 and hear more about how Nehemiah began his work. Here's what he said. I went to Jerusalem. After staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool. And there was not enough room for my mount to get through, so I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. Because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in? Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. We will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. Then they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. But when Sanballat, the Horonite, Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and Geshem, the Arab, heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you're doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. This is the turning point. When Nehemiah finally got to take an active role to begin the process. And he began by, by going personally to inspect the walls, to determine the extent of the damage, to estimate the scope of the work that would need to be completed. And he did this without telling anybody. He didn't let anybody know what his plan was. He rode in, into Jerusalem from Persia. After the, after the journey, he rested. And, and before he, he made mention of anything, he snuck off in the middle of the night to go and find out exactly what he was dealing with. And we don't, know, we don't know why specifically. But we do know that he waited until after he could see for himself what, what was needed to be done, that he then addressed the people. And he spoke to the people of Israel. He spoke to the priests, to the nobles, and to the other people who would help them with the work that was going to take place. And while we don't know specifically what Nehemiah's motivation is. What I can see in this story is that Nehemiah understood the importance of timing, significance of waiting for the right moment to speak and share this information. Now think about what would happen if he had rode into town from Persia, come to the guards on the outside of town and said to them, I'm here to rebuild. And then went to sleep, rested for a few days from his journey. When he finally got up and was ready to start working, what do you think he would have faced? in that city, as people started talking, as those guards talked to their buddies and they talked to their families and the rumor mill started turning in Jerusalem. When Nehemiah was ready to, to build and he gathered the people before him, there would have been questions. How, how do you even know how bad this is? How, how do you plan on accomplishing this? There would have been opposition. No, there's no way we can do this. This is too big for us. We're, we're a scattered remnant. You know how many people it took to build this place when they, when they did it the first time? Not to mention, if we got out to the other nations around them too early, how hard it would have been for Nehemiah to convince the people 
to engage with them in this purpose. Nehemiah waited until he had a full understanding. They gathered all the people, everybody together to hear at once the vision God had placed on his heart and the purpose that he was living for. Nehemiah needed the support of the people in order to complete the task that God had laid on his heart. They would all have to be invested in this labor. They'd all have to take part in it if they would ever hope to, have, to be able to restore the city. And so Nehemiah very carefully laid out the facts. Cities in ruins, the gates are burned. And he offered them a solution. We will no longer be living in disgrace if we rebuild the walls around this city. Now, I know you tried to rebuild the temple before. And the, the, the nations around you intervened and stopped you. Instead of focusing on a building, let's build our defenses. If we can provide safety and security first, then we can rebuild the buildings without fear of what's coming at us from the outside. To reinforce his point, he relayed to the people his own experience with the king of how Artaxerxes had sent him with his blessing, providing him with his authority. And not only that, how God's hand had been through the whole process, taking care of the details. And the people hearing this incredible story responded, let us begin rebuilding. In fact, some translations say, let's rise up and build. They were all in, invested in the process, ready to commit themselves to this purpose. And this task would require the work of all of the people that were present if it was going to be successful. The scope of the labor was immense. They are going to be facing tremendous opposition. They are already being ridiculed for beginning the work that they felt compelled to complete. Sandlot, Tobiah, Geshem, desperate to keep Jerusalem in ruins. They came to them saying, are you going to rebel against the king by rebuilding this place? They had no idea that Artaxerxes had sent Nehemiah with authority. And while they called on the name of the king, Nehemiah invoked a higher authority. The God of heaven will give us success. Don't you worry about what's going to happen. You have no claim. You have no stake. God is with us. Now, the story of Nehemiah is an inspiring story. And when I read it, it reminds me of the significance of understanding the vision that God has for each of us, the purpose that he, he sets in front of us to accomplish. It inspires me to, to not only understand those things fully, but to be willing to, to personally step forward and engage in that process. And that inspiration has, has been significant to me and my faith understanding my obedience to God. But that's not all that this story represents. Nehemiah's story also is an inspiration to us as a church to recognize the vision that God has placed before us, to take hold of the purpose that God is calling us to as a body of believers together, to recognize who he has called us to be and all that he has called us to do together. And just as Nehemiah called on all of the Israelites to band together to fulfill the purpose of building the wall around Jerusalem, we know that we depend on each other to fulfill the purpose God has for us as a church. 
that requires each of us to be personally engaged in the process, to take responsibility for, for what it is that God is calling us to as a family. It's significantly greater than any one of us can accomplish on our own. It's significantly greater than a group of us can accomplish, than the leadership of the church can accomplish. What God is calling us to as a church is something that we all need to be invested in and committed to. Now, our mission statement is to connect people to Christ, Christians, and the community. And we live according to that mission statement. It's the vision that God has given us. It's the purpose that we make decisions that align us with that purpose, that, that we diligently work to communicate, communicate the gospel message of Jesus Christ, his love and grace, so that people can come to an understanding of what that love and grace looks like, to make a personal decision to, to accept Christ as Lord and Savior, that we connect people to Christ. And then, not leaving them there as a, as a new Christian, wondering what their relationship with the Lord would look like, we, we help them grow toward maturity through 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 mentoring, discipleship, fellowship. We study God's Word together. We get engaged in, in, in the study of the Word. We invest in, in service together, and we grow together as we serve, developing the maturity that draws us together and that helps us grow in our relationship with the Lord. And then we look outward and begin connecting with the community. Based off our relationship with the Lord and the maturity that we've developed, we begin reaching out and serving people. And as we're caring for them, as we're demonstrating the love of Christ to them, we start talking to them about what that love means. Start inviting them to understand how much God loves them and what, how their lives can be changed with a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we engage them in that process again. Growing the church for his kingdom. Growing people to love him more as they learn what it is to be mature, faithful believers following where he leads us. Now, that's a, that's a very concise description of who we are as a church. It, it requires so much more than just that simple process. It, it involves all of us as, as a body here at Parkview. It involves all the programs that we do, each one of them pointing people to the Lord, helping them grow in, in maturity, helping them reach out in service, helping the church to accomplish this mission and this purpose. There are roles of service that have to be fulfilled. As we band together to accomplish the mission God has placed before us, there are prayers that take place over the people, over the process, over the results that continually are lifted up by the church with faithful understanding of who God is calling us to be. If we as a church are to fulfill our purpose as a dynamic, engaging body of Christ that is committed to expanding the kingdom, helping people come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, coming to a place where they feel welcome, where they feel loved enough to grow closer to the Lord and grow closer to other people who can help them develop maturity, then we need to be all in. We need to be able to depend on each other. Each of us has a role to play, and every one of us depends on the people around us to fulfill the, the role that they have as well. Just like Nehemiah called the people of Israel to each one do their part to rebuild the wall, we stand together with a task in front of us that requires all of our diligent service. And as a body of Christ, we all have our area where we serve, trusting that the person next to us is fulfilling their responsibility and the person next to them, that everybody together, as we work and serve the Lord and surrender ourselves to this purpose, can band us together to accomplish 
the vision that he has for us as a church and the purpose that he's calling us to. Now, that's a big decision to make. And it's not a decision that we can let somebody else make for us. This is our purpose. Let's all get involved. It's a person that we, a, a decision we each have to make individually. Recognizing the value that we have as, as members of the body of Christ, recognizing the purpose he's calling us to, to stand next to one another for the sake of the kingdom and for the glory of the Lord. That we would step forward in faith. That we would recognize the, the decision that has to be made in order for us to, to be a part of, of this purpose that God has for us. And each of us has a different response to make depending on where we are. For some of us, it's a decision that, that requires us to accept Christ as Lord and Savior, to acknowledge our belief and faith in Him, to repent of our sins and be baptized in His name. For others who are already Christians, it's a recognition that while we attend, we we know there are places to serve. We know there are gaps. We know there are people who aren't present because they're not feeling well, because there's a, a, an opening and someone you need a substitute. There's a place of service that is vacant. And we say, well, somebody should, should step in. Somebody should fill that role. And we feel very strongly about something. Maybe we should be the ones to say, I can do that. I think God has prepared me to, to step in and fulfill this role. That I can, I can give of my time and my energy and my talent. I can, I can stand together with the people here at Parkview, serve to become who God is calling us to become together. Maybe, maybe the role God's calling you to is to, to pray diligently for the, the people of the church, to pray for our community, to pray for the gospel and those who need to hear it, to continually lift these needs up before the Lord. All of us have a decision to make. And I wanna challenge you this morning to step forward into what God is calling you to, to recognize the urging of the Holy Spirit, the thing that God is laying on your heart and mind, and that you would overcome your fear, that you would step around your excuses, that you would draw on the strength that God provides as you take ownership and responsibility for the decision he's laying on your heart.